In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O Lord, you search me and you know me. You know my resting and my rising. You discern my purpose from afar. You mark when I walk or lie down. All my ways lie open to you. Before ever a word is on my tongue, you know it, O Lord, through and through. Behind and before you besiege me, your hand is ever laid upon me. To wonder for, for me this knowledge, to high beyond my reach. It was you who created my being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I thank you for the wonder of my being, for the wonder of all your creation. Already you knew my soul. My body held no secret from you. When I was being fashioned in secret and molded in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw all of my actions. They were all of them written in your book. Every one of my days was decreed before one of them came into being. To me, how mysterious your thoughts, the sum of them not to be numbered. Oh, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See that I follow not the wrong path and lead me in the path of life eternal. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was Psalm 139. This psalm, as all the psalms, are prayers. And this particular one is a prayer of one who has truly encountered the living God. And in their encounter with God, they are led to a deeper knowledge of both God and of themselves. And this is what is beautiful about any revelations in prayer. It is always a revelation about God that also reveals something about ourselves. It's a prayer of one who is awe and in wonder before the overwhelming mystery of a God who is very intimately and personally present. It's wonderful for us to realize that God is always anticipating us. There is someone who always knows us through and through, who's always beholding us and gazing on us with love at every single moment. This means that you and I are never alone. Now, before I go into the, the main part of this reflection on prayer, many things that I will mention I hope will be helpful. At times I will be talking about general principles that apply to everyone, and at other times giving specific examples which will not always apply to each one of us. 
We are all in different places when it comes to our relationship with God and where we are at in prayer. And so each of us will hear things differently. One word of caution. How God works in our soul is very personal. And so, and so how much of what we will discuss together will apply specifically to your life will obviously, we will not be able to deal with all the different particulars. That discernment needs to be made between you and God and if necessary, to seek counsel from someone who is a spiritual director. There are elements of Christian prayer that are necessary for it to be Christian and faithful to scripture and tradition. But the unfolding of our prayer will not be like any other because God relates with each one of us uniquely. Okay, just a little word of caution there. What I'm going to talk about today, why is prayer important? Then we will go into why is prayer difficult? And then tips on how to pray. Why is prayer important? Prayer is necessary, first of all, in order to live in the truth. Not to pray is to live an illusion. It is to live a lie. When I pray, I am acknowledging the great truth that is at the heart and foundation of my whole life, that it is a relationship with God, a God who created me, a God who sustains me by his providence, a God who loves me and therefore knows and wants what is good for me and knows what is best for me. To pray, therefore, is to be in the truth. When I kneel down and pray before God, this is one of the most truthful gestures that I make. To pray is to be myself, to be my true self, and the best exercise to become my best self. If I am wise, I will pray. When I pray, I show that I am very wise. Here is where we can see why humility is necessary for us to pray. Love is the soul of the spiritual life and of prayer. Humility is its foundation. When we pray, we do not speak, as the Catechism says, from the heights of our pride and self-will, but rather out of the depths of a humble, dependent heart that knows that it needs God for everything. The truth is, I am not sufficient unto myself. I did not bring myself into existence. I am not the source of the light I need to guide me through life. When I pray, 
I do not speak to God as an equal, but I speak to God as a creature before my Creator, as a child before my loving Heavenly Father, as a disciple before my Lord and my Savior. Prayer is what puts me in my proper place. Only when we are in our true and rightful place can we have that peace and joy that is beyond understanding. This is often a way to understand some of the challenges and misery of our life. Sometimes it's because I'm not in my proper place. I'm trying to be God. And so prayer and the work of humility brings me back to that rightful, proper place before God where I am most happy. A story of a man who tried to join a monastery, knocked on the door, the abbot answered and he said, I would like to join your monastery and give my life to God. And the abbot said to him, we can let you in if you will answer one question. There is only one God, and you're not him. And if you agree with that, we'll let you in. The passage from Isaiah 40. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or who has instructed God as his counselor? Whom did God consult to gain knowledge? Or who taught him the path of judgment and understanding. Sometimes we'd like to give God a little advice. We'd like to tell him how to run the world or what we think is best for us. And this again is why we need humility so that we truly can let God be God and to trust him with our life. Humility is important for another reason. As I am not the source of my existence, so also I am not the source of prayer. Prayer, along with my life, is a pure gift, and I must receive it and learn it from God, to be schooled by God on how to pray. Only when we humbly acknowledge that we do not know how to pray as we ought to, are we ready to receive freely the gift of prayer? When it comes to prayer, all of us are beggars before God, children. If prayer is a gift, that means that I am not the one who initiates prayer. I am one who first receives. Prayer is first and foremost God's initiative. It is God seeking me, God drawing me, God gazing at me, God loving me and speaking to me. Before I love, I am the one being loved. And this is really important for us to understand. There's a certain Jesuit priest, his name is Father Negro, who puts this very well 
in a little article that he wrote on prayer, and he puts it in this way. We hear a great deal about the crises of faith and religion today. There are crises of authority and of obedience, of community life, of personal identity, of simplicity and poverty of life. I am convinced that at the basis of it all is a crisis of faith. The single most important conviction that I want to share with you is that prayer is a personal response to God's presence. And then he goes on to explain this. He says, either you and I are more important than God or God is more important than we are. The answer is obvious. God is more important. Further, if what God wants and what God does is more important than what we want or do, then more attention should be focused on what God is and does than on what we want or do. And again, the answer is obvious. What God wants to say to us is more important for us than anything we may have to say to God. And the truth is, God does indeed want to communicate himself to us. Prayer, therefore, is a personal response to God's presence. This means that God first makes himself present to us and that prayer, therefore, is our awareness and acknowledgement of God's presence. So God is the one who first initiates and we are simply acknowledging that there is already someone waiting for us, loving us and seeking us out in prayer. The second reason why prayer is important is what I want to highlight in the statement that I ended with in the last section with regard to before I love, I am being loved. At the core and foundation of our daily life, we need to know and experience God's love for us. And this is another reason why prayer is so important. As humble prayer puts me in my proper place before God, giving me that childlike heart that Jesus praises so often in the gospel, prayer also opens my heart to become aware of and receive God's love. This is the first truth that a child learns through the love of its parents. It is too, it is too young to understand or articulate it, but as the child receives love, through the eyes, the face, the hugs and kisses of its father and mother, it comes to know the first 
and most necessary truth of his existence, that I am lovable, I am precious, I am wanted, and I am made for love. We know that the, 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 that the Apostle St. John became so childlike in his faith that by the time he wrote the fourth gospel, he penned himself in that gospel as the one whom Jesus loves. And you'll hear me use this a lot because this gets at the heart of what God is revealing in Jesus Christ. It is so important that we get this right. Otherwise, our whole life, and especially our spiritual life, will be kittywampus. That's an expression of my mother. This was expressed in a last prayer and testament of Blessed Mother Teresa to her sisters. This is how she expressed it to her sisters. And this was written shortly before she died. I worry some of you still have not really met Jesus one to one. You and Jesus alone. We may spend time in chapel, but have you seen with the eyes of your heart how Jesus looks at you with love? Do you really know the living Jesus? Not from books, but from being with him in your heart. Have you heard the loving words that Jesus speaks to you? Please ask for this grace. He is longing to give it to each one of you. Until you can hear Jesus in the silence of your own heart, you will never be able to hear him saying, I thirst in the hearts of the poor. Never give up this daily intimate contact with Jesus as a real living person, not just an idea. How can we last even one day without hearing Jesus say, I love you? Impossible. Our soul needs this as much as the body needs air to breathe. If, if not, prayer is dead. Meditation is only thinking. Jesus wants each of you to hear him speaking this love in the silence of your heart. Be careful of all that can block that personal contact with the living Jesus. The devil may try to use the hurts of life and sometimes even your own mistakes to make you feel it is impossible that Jesus really loves you. This is a danger for all of us and so sad because it is completely the opposite of what Jesus is really wanting and waiting to tell you. Not only that he loves you, but even more, he longs for you. He misses you when you don't come close. He thirsts for you. He loves you always, even when you don't feel worthy of love. When not accepted by others, 
even by yourself sometimes, Jesus is the one who always loves and accepts you. Only believe you are precious to him. Bring all you are suffering to his feet. Only open your heart to be loved by him just as you are, and he will do the rest. This has to be at the foundation to know that we are loved. And this is what prayer brings us into contact with every single day. This beautiful, personal, intimate love of Jesus. To hear those words anew each day in the depths of our heart. Another reason for the importance of prayer is in order to see things as God sees them. For those of you who are at Mass today, we talked about the different kinds of spiritual blindness, partial blindness, areas where my heart is blurred in the way I see God, in the way I see myself, in the way I see others, and the way I see the world. I won't get into that now, but you can click on our, on our website and you can hear the homily that was given today. Okay? There's a beautiful passage from Scripture that we've heard many times where God says, My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. Prayer is what allows, allows us to attune our minds and hearts to the way that God thinks, to the way that God sees, and to the way that God loves. Prayer allows us to make those adjustments if the way I think might be different, or maybe something I desire may be different than what God desires for me in my life. A fourth reason for the importance of prayer is what Pope Francis calls the sickness of Marthaism, the excessive activity and busyness. He says, of those who immerse themselves in work, neglecting the better part to be seated at the feet of Jesus. This is why Jesus called his disciples to rest a while in prayer. When we look at the life of Jesus in the gospel, notice at night he goes off to pray and sometimes he prays all night. And then he gets up early in the morning and sneaks off to find a place to prayer again. This means that everything that Jesus did is sandwiched in between prayer. It springs from his prayer and it leads back to his prayer. This is something that we have to learn how to do. And I think most of us would agree we have to do better at it. We're not so good at beginning and ending our day with prayer. 
Archbishop Flynn, when he was bishop of the archdiocese, he met with us seminarians, and he would always give us tips on how to be good priests. And he emphasized a lot prayer. He was a, he was a man who would get up every morning, and he would spend a holy hour before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament ever since he was in the seminary, and he never missed a day. As busy as he was, especially as a bishop, he never missed that holy hour. And he would say to us, we have not got the message. Sometimes Jesus left the sick unhealed, he left the ignorant untaught, and he would go off to pray and be alone with his Father. And he said, we have not got the message. And he was on his way to a bishop's conference. And he said to us with a smile, wouldn't it be wonderful if all the bishops got together and we just had a moment of silence? Now he said that with some sadness because he knew this was impossible. Isn't that sad? This should be a normal part of our daily life. Bishop Olmsted down in Arizona, when he was installed as bishop, the press were eager to ask him all kinds of questions, and they asked him, Bishop, what is the most important thing that you do every day? Now you can imagine the list of things that a bishop does every day. I mean, it would probably make me want to take an aspirin and go to bed. But he turned to the person asking the question, and he said, the most important thing I do each day is to take care of my intimacy with Christ. It's out of that that I do everything else. And it, uh, the, 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 the article said that after that question, the person did not ask him any more questions. They didn't know what to say. They weren't expecting that answer. Blessed Mother Teresa said, it is not what we do that is important, but what God does through us and in us that matters and changes lives. The fifth reason why prayer is important. In order to know the will of God, every single one of us would love to know what is the will of God. Now, if we had time, I would give another conference specifically on discerning God's will. Maybe I'll do that in the future. Because this is where people have a lot of questions. Lord, they'll say, Father, how do I know if I'm hearing God correctly? Or if I have the choice between two or three good things, how do I know which choice is the right one? And there's all these kinds of questions. But it's in prayer that I seek to know the will of God. And in fact, one of the proper dispositions for prayer is I must want the will of God. If I have any willful, willfulness where I'm hanging on to my will and insisting on my way, that's going to close my heart from receiving the light to know God's will. We all have a hard time trusting and believing that God's will is best. 
but our greatest freedom and happiness only comes by doing God's will. We pray not to try to manipulate God or bargain with Him to do our will, but to dispose our hearts to know and accept His will and receive the strength to carry it out. We pray because we need to surrender our will to God and because we take it back a hundred times a day. And we need to pray continuously, giving our will back to God again and again and again. When I learned how to pray as a beginner, the woman who taught me and my family, she taught us to give up our will to God three times a day. So we would get on our knees if we could, or we'd go use the restroom and just kind of go into the stall there and do it in the middle of the day if we were working or something. I found parking lots wonderful for this. But we would just give, we'd put everything in our hands, our hopes, our dreams, our desires. We'd put it in our hands and we would surrender it to God. And we would do that three times a day. And she, she knew that this was important because we would always take our will back, sometimes even unknowingly. And so we need to give it back to God again and pray to accept God's will as it unfolds in the day, especially when it's different than our will. And how many times does that happen? Because oftentimes what happens, we try to push our will through our, our, our will uh, throughout the day. Our prayer is something like, look out, look out, God, here I come, right? And God forbid if God should change something and things don't go the way I planned. Another reason why prayer is important is that it disposes us so that the sacramental life bears more fruit. I'm going to read to you from an excerpt from the Second Vatican Council. They wrote a document on the liturgy, on the Mass, and it says here in paragraph 12, the spiritual life is not limited solely to participation in the Mass or other liturgies. The Christian life is indeed called, or no, the Christian is indeed called to pray with others. But the Christian must also enter into his own bedroom and pray to the Father in secret. Furthermore, according to the teaching of the Apostle, we must pray without ceasing. And we learn from the same Apostle that we must always carry around in our bodies the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be made manifest in our mortal bodies. So along with participating in the sacramental life of the church, if we want that to bear much fruit in our life, it must be accompanied by a life of prayer which disposes us to receive the fruits of communion or of a good confession or of our baptism, and so forth. This can explain, perhaps, why we see some people who come to church every Sunday, 
Sunday after Sunday, but their life does not seem to change so much. Why is that? Maybe one of the reasons is that their life is missing prayer. The seventh reason why, why prayer is important is that it does make our life easier. It helps to lighten the burdens. It helps us to bear all things and endure all things with greater peace, serenity, and joy. When we open ourselves to God each day, God can give us what we need to face whatever may come our way. Disappointments, changes in schedule, people who rub us the wrong way, temptations, persecutions, and crosses. Left to myself, I have only my weak, frail, wounded, fallen human nature, and this can take me only so far, and some days not very far at all. In the words of St. Bernard, those who pray live more purely, fall more rarely, recover more promptly, advance more surely, receive more graces, die more calmly, are more quickly cleansed, and gain a greater reward. Anyone who leaves the house in the morning to head out into this crazy world is a fool if they don't pray first. Because then that means they're leaning on themselves and let's see how, just how far they get. This is why it is wise to pray because I can't, I can't face life on my own, nor should I. When I lean on myself and fall into self-reliance, this is where many of my troubles come, and it's often the source of my unhappiness and misery. Prayer brings me connected again with God, who is the source of the grace I need to face all the surprises of the day. Why is prayer difficult? And why is it even sometimes like a spiritual battle? Well, first of all, because prayer is an activity that lies in the realm of faith. And so there is an essential part of our human nature, the physical and the sensible, that will struggle and experience prayer in a state of deprivation. We make our prayer in the poverty of faith. With human friendship, there is the physical presence of the other person. We can see their face and their eyes. We can hear their voice. We, we can exchange a handshake or a hug or some other gesture. But with God, all these things are missing. It is a real presence a real encounter and conversation, but it is at the level of the Spirit in faith. So this is what, just from the get-go, makes prayer difficult. 
because we don't have those sensible experiences that we have in human relationships. And so immediately we experience poverty. And yet God is as real as you and I, and prayer is as real an experience as you and I talking together. We just have to learn the special language that prayer is. One friend of mine said, and I think she was quoting someone else, God's favorite language is silence, and all others are poor translations. All right? So we have to learn to detect and hear those gentle whispers of God, those gentle touches of God, and how He speaks to us throughout our daily life, through circumstances, through situations, and everything. Another reason why prayer can be difficult is because of the body connection with our soul. We are not pure spirits or angels. We are body and soul together. And if we neglect our bodies, they will have an effect on our soul and make it difficult. All of us know of the example of just being tired. Try to pray when you are dog tired. <laughs> See how far you get, right? This is why to pray well, we must take care of our bodies. We must exercise, eat well, moderate our food and our drink, get sufficient sleep if we need recreation to have fun and relaxation. If I know I'm going to pray, I try not to eat a real heavy meal. You know, I'll forego the heavy meal, I'll pray first, and then maybe have something more afterwards. Because I find if I eat a lot, I'm thinking about my stomach rather than about God, okay? Just simple things like that can really help. I've also experienced on my day off, you know, we all get a day off, I get Mondays off, and I've made this experiment. When I feel just exhausted, and many times I do after a long week of ministry and so forth, and sometimes it's easier just to go to the pleasures of the flesh, right? Put in a pizza, fill a glass of Dr. Pepper, put in a movie, and just sit there and veg, right? But I find that even though that relaxes my body somewhat, it doesn't rejuvenate my soul. It's different if we do those same things in the Lord which will also mean that we will do them with greater moderation. And therefore, our spirits will be awake. What I've also found is if before I attack the refrigerator, if I just put a little extra effort in doing something more spiritual, like reading a spiritual book, I find that little by little, that rejuvenates me more than just diving into the pleasures of the flesh, okay? So sometimes we have a tendency to default to the immediate pleasure 
rather than to just put a little more effort into something that is hard initially, but after we get going, we feel much better afterwards. I've made this experiment more than once. Another reason why prayer can be difficult and somewhat of a battle is because of the lack of understanding or good guidance about prayer. I think many of us can say in our Catholic upbringing or if there are other upbringings that we had, maybe we were taught how to pray the Our Father. Maybe we were taught how to pray the Hail Mary. But we were never taught how to pray with the heart to the living God. In a heart-to-heart conversation that is as natural and spontaneous as two friends conversing together. How many of us have experienced that with our parents or in our families or in our Catholic upbringing? I think there are very few, which is unfortunate and sad. I think perhaps there was a presumption that this was already happening. It was assumed, but wrongly so. And so there are many Catholics, even well into their adult years, that have never really learned from someone this heart-to-heart, intimate prayer with God. And if you are one of those, the the best thing you can do for yourself is to humbly admit that and to become a beginner in the school of prayer. I had to learn myself later in life. And God put a woman in my life and in my family's life that taught us how to pray. We didn't know the first thing about prayer. We also have misconceptions about God and how he works and acts in our life. For example, we pray, but then God doesn't answer. God doesn't give me what I just asked for in prayer. And I've been praying for this for weeks, months, and in some cases, years. And since God doesn't answer my prayers, I'm going to stop praying altogether. Have you ever felt that way? Have you heard of that one beautiful prayer called, I think it's called the anonymous prayer? Have you heard this? It's called the anonymous prayer. We don't know who wrote it, but it's a great prayer. Listen to this prayer. This is a good example of how we do not get God and how we do not understand his ways. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked God for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked God for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might become truly wise. I ask God for power, that I might have the praise of others. 
I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I deeply desired and hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all people most richly blessed. See how we get God wrong? God answers every prayer because he is loving, all good, and just. It's just not sometimes the answer we were expecting or not at the moment we expected it because sometimes God says, wait. Remember Abraham? He was called by God at 70 years old And the covenant promise that God promised him did not come to pass until he was 99. How many of us would wait that long? How many of us would have returned to Babylon and just gone on life as usual? Isn't that beautiful? He waited that long. Also, in terms of not understanding God and prayer, some base their prayer on feelings. They think that God is absent from them if they do not feel anything. And they will judge the quality of their prayer on whether they experience something sensible or not. This is huge. Even though sometimes God's presence and activity in prayer can overflow into our senses and be experienced as a consolation, this is often not the case. We can never judge the quality of our prayer based on what I feel or what I do not feel. God being present to me is not based on whether I feel God or not. Thank God, God is not a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. It is a virtue. Sometimes the feelings can accompany an act of faith, but not always. And we know from the lives of the saints, they write about experiences of dryness, of aridity, and of a complete lack of any feelings or consolation. God has revealed that he is with me. In that psalm that I read, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, I am with you always, until the end of the world. So now let's say I take a moment of prayer and I don't feel like God is with me. Is he with me or not? 
He is with me because he said he is. And that is faith. Whether I feel it or not, he's with me. Because he said, and God keeps his promise. So this is a really important thing for us. When we pray, we don't pray to seek a feeling. We pray to seek God. And we love God for his own sake, whether we get something out of our prayer or not. Here's where certain areas of self-love and selfishness need to be purified. And this is why God will sometimes give consolation and then he'll take it. He'll give it and then he'll take it. So that we do not become attached to the feeling, but become attached to him. This is really important. I remember when God did this to me and it was so confusing. I didn't know what to do, but I had good guides to guide me through this time. I mean, God was lavish in his consolations. I experienced so many consolations in prayer, and then one day he took them. And I thought, oh my God, God has left me. But he didn't leave me. I had to learn how to pray in the dryness and darkness of pure faith. And now that's a normal state for me. I rarely feel anything. But I pray in faith. And that's what we all need to learn how to do. Now, if you get consolations, praise God. Isn't it wonderful when God gives us consolation? But don't hang on to them. Let them come and go as God wishes, believing that God knows what's best. Another reason for the challenge of prayer is because of the effects of, because of sin and its effects in our life. If life is the sum forces that resist death, the spiritual life is the sum of forces that resist the falling back into the old fallen self, the spirit of the world and the darkness of error. One example of this is the sin of laziness and sloth. Every one of us knows this one. God gives us a nudge to pray, and we just drag our feet. Or we think of a thousand other things we'd rather do. And then, a little while later, God nudges us again to pray. And again, we avoid him. And we do all these other things, but in that activity is hidden sloth. We are not doing the very thing that we should be doing, and we're evading it by doing all these other things. That's sloth. Also, um, discouragement can be a real temptation in our life. Sometimes the pleasures of the flesh, as I talked about earlier, can drag us down and make it more difficult to pray. St. Teresa of Avila said this, Prayer is not for the faint-hearted. Prayer will always require courage, 
perseverance, vigilance, discipline, and patience. We come to prayer armed with the armor of God, while prayer at the same time arms us for the daily Christian conflict and battle. Another thing that makes prayer difficult is that if we do not live a prayerful lifestyle, then when we go to pray, it is more difficult because now we're all distracted, we're scattered in the four winds, we're dissipated, we're you know, covered with the dust of the world. And so the reason why some people have a difficult time praying is they don't know how to live a life of recollection, a life peaceful in the present moment of God. But they live in this very scattered, restless, hyperactive, and then they come to pray and they wonder why they're so distracted, why it's hard to focus, why it's hard to center. One of the best preparations for prayer is to live a simple, peaceful, recollected life. We can be busy, but to do it in a peaceful, quiet, recollected way. How to pray. Some tips. First of all, where is the place of prayer? There's these beautiful quotes from the Catechism, paragraphs 25, 62, and 63, that talk about the heart as the place of prayer. In naming the source of prayer, Scripture speaks sometimes of the soul or the spirit, but most often of the heart, which is men mentioned a thousand times. According to Scripture, it is the heart that prays. The heart is the dwelling place where I am, where I live. According to the biblical expression, the heart is the place to which I withdraw. The heart is my hidden center, beyond the grasp of my reasoning and of other people. Only the Spirit of God can fathom the human heart and know its depths. The heart is the place of decision. It is the place of truth. It is the place of encounter with the one who dwells within us. It is the place where covenants are made and lived out. When is the best time to pray? It's always best to have special times set aside for prayer. But the important thing here is to be able to offer God the best moments of our day when we are the sharpest and most alert, if we can. Now, some people are night owls. I'm both. I'm a morning person and a night owl, but I can't mix the two very long. I have to give one a break every now and then. For me, the best time to pray is in the morning. You're going to be surprised. I don't even need coffee. 
Isn't that amazing? I just get up and I'm sharp. I jump out of bed. Hi, God. Let's begin the day together. And of course, then I get ready and I come to church over here and then it's me and Jesus for a good two hours. Okay? Now, for you, you might be a night owl. Maybe the nighttime is your best time to pray. For some of us, maybe it's in the middle time of the day about when we take our lunch time. Maybe that's the best time after the coffee has kicked in. Okay? The important thing is that we find the best time. Find the best time for you and then make an appointment with God in your calendar. We always put the important things in our life in our calendar. If prayer is important, put it in your calendar. This is my appointment with God. And if someone asks you what you're doing, you say, I have an appointment with someone. You don't have to tell them with who, but you have an appointment with someone. It's with God. In terms of when to pray, pray how you can and not how you can't. There are some people, for example, that got these notions that they should pray like a monk or a nun, that they should be praying many hours during the day and not just once but several times, and yet they have three and four children and a job and, and all kinds of other things to juggle, and then they get discouraged that they can't pray very well. Oh my goodness sakes. In some cases, just to pray even 10, 15 minute slots can make a huge difference in our life. In some cases, when our lives get busy, to, to shoot those javelins into the heart of God. Short little spontaneous prayers. God, I love you. God, please help me. God, I believe that you are with me. Just a short little javelin to the heart of God can make a huge difference in terms of recentering and focusing our life. Pray especially when we are tempted and when the spiritual battle becomes more intense. There are some people who pray more when life gets harder. That's a good thing because then we need more grace. But also, pray when life is going well. That's sometimes when we get complacent and we get lazy. That's when we start to forget about God when life is going our way. Mr. Bluebird is on our shoulder and we're whistling Dixie, right? hippity doo -dah. And then what happens? We get complacent, we fall on our face, and what do we do? God, help me. Also, to pray before any major decision. Jesus always did this before any major decision. Where to pray. Find the best place where there are the least amount of distractions. In some cases, that may not be your home. If you've got a busy home life, that's like an airport with people coming and going. Maybe coming to the church for some of us is a better place as a way to step out of the busyness of our life. I found when I was working that parking lots, cemeteries, and my car were some of the best places to pray. 
And if I needed a quick prayer, the bathroom. All right, just go to the bathroom and you're all alone with God. Okay? Sometimes you need those two or five minutes. That's just enough. Walks. Some of my most beautiful times with God are walking. Now, some people walk to get exercise. That's cool. But I walk to pray because I get my exercise in other ways. Like when I eat, when I eat a half pounder, I do those curls, right? Okay, I got curls there. And I switch hands and use the other one. Okay. I love to walk quietly, slowly, and that walking is prayer for me. Many of the homilies that you hear, I have received from God while walking with Him out in some quiet place in the woods or on some beaten path. Sometimes walking is the best place or the best time. How to pray. Boy, there's the big one, right? There's the big question. How to pray. After this talk, on the table outside, there's going to be some brochures. It's called Prayer Conversation with God. We also keep a stack of these in the little behind the pillar there in a shelf. In this booklet is a method of prayer that I find the best and most simple. It's called the Pirate's Prayer because another name for it is Arr. A-R-R-R. That's just a memory device to remember the different parts of prayer. So always, when we begin prayer, we always want to begin, as Father Negro said, with the presence of God, to simply make an act of faith and to acknowledge the presence of God. God, I believe you are here, that you are with me in my heart. I believe that you are loving life into me, that you are loving goodness into me, your beauty into me. God, you are wonderful. Just to acknowledge his presence. Then the first step is acknowledge. Openly and honestly acknowledge your true self before God. And what is the biggest and most obvious thing going on in your life today? What are the thoughts, feelings, and desires that are stirring within our hearts? Because prayer is really this. How many of us are having a conversation with ourselves throughout the day? Right? We are talking to ourselves all day long. Prayer is when my thoughts, my desires, and my feelings turn out of me toward God. Otherwise, they just keep churning around inside of me. There are so many thoughts, feelings, and desires that go by unrelated. Prayer is relating my interior life with God. It's when I invite God into the conversation that I'm having with myself. That's prayer. Whatever I'm thinking, feeling, or desiring, this is the self that God loves, 
with the tenderness of a father, the person God desires to meet and relate with in prayer. So the first step is just acknowledging what's going on inside of me in the last few minutes or hours or the day. Next step, relate. Knowing that God loves me as I am, bringing these thoughts, feelings, and desires to him without fear, with complete confidence, speaking heart to heart with God, simply and naturally. The next step, receive. Then I let God respond to me. Be still and know that I am God, says the Lord. This can be the hardest part for us, for it requires patience and quiet and stillness. Perhaps we need to ask the Lord to quiet our minds and calm our hearts. Then we open our soul to God's breath, His Spirit, to His loving gaze, His gentle presence, and we listen. We surrender to God's action in the movements of our own heart. God may calm a fear. He may heal an old resentment. He may give us an illumination about something or give the grace to surrender our life and accept his will in a difficult situation. Perhaps all we need is a deeper sense of his love and presence or a greater, a greater strength and courage to persevere. Whatever the need, we trust the Lord to respond in the way that is best for us. And the last one is respond. All that God is, all that God does in our life invites a response from us. When God shows his love, whether that love is seen or hidden, felt or unfelt, there is need to respond to the graces given. For example, making sincere acts of gratitude and love, renewing our resolve to walk more humbly, or to be more faithful to prayer, or to bear our crosses more cheerfully, or to love more selflessly in a difficult relationship, or perhaps to make amends with someone we have hurt. The important thing is to carry these responses into our daily life, living out the graces of our prayer. You can each take one of these with you when you go at the end. And if you know of someone else who might like this, take an extra, okay? These will always be available in that little brochure rack behind the pillar there. One of the things that helps us to stay in a prayerful presence of God is to check and discipline our desires to see, hear, and know things which are useless and which do not concern us. <laughs> this is challenging. Curiosity in the internet. How much time have you and I wasted by simply being curious about things that we don't really need to know. And then our minds become filled with all this information, 
all these images that just become more distractions in our life. Am I talking to myself or am I talking to everyone? So to avoid all unhealthy curiosity, also to discipline the natural restlessness of our hearts, which keeps us coming and going, running to and fro, and over-eager to get things done. I remember when God was leading me into prayer, I had to hold on to the arms of the chair because I was like a butterfly. I'd go from one flower to the next. You couldn't keep me still for five minutes. And God had to help me discipline that restlessness of my heart to go against it and just to ask him to help me to be still, to quiet me, and to let these, this restlessness be taken from my heart little by little. Also, we need to curb the imagination so that it becomes accustomed to be at rest. Also, to keep a great liberty of mind and heart by living in the present moment, not dwelling on either the past or the future. We only go back to the past to reconcile it and to allow God to redeem it and to thank God for it. But we don't need to carry it around like baggage. Also important for prayer is posture. Find a posture that helps you to be fully present to God. Now, don't find a posture that's too comfortable, especially if you're tired, because then you'll fall asleep. So you want to be just slightly uncomfortable enough to be awake and attentive. And my goodness sakes, that's all I have to say. Some of you are going, amen. Let's get to the donuts, Padre. So I, I hope this was helpful. Um, I'm going to stay after for a little bit if anyone has any specific questions. And, uh, and I will probably eventually offer a talk on discerning God's will because it's a really important question and not an easy one to answer. So let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.